Today, we're continuing our red flag series. Uh, We're talking about red flags, which are warning signs, which are things in the scripture where uh, it says, hey, you know, this is kind of a big deal. You're going to need to pay close attention because you've got a higher probability of getting it wrong. You've got a higher possibility of messing up. And so we've got to heed these red flags. Flags that today's red flag is one of those red flags that I heard from my mom all the time growing up. Okay, it's something that I it, it kind of bounces around in my head because she would tell me all the time. Now, you know, sometimes when your mom is interacting with you, she just calls you by your name, but today is going to be a middle name type of sermon. <laughs> Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? See, my name's Jamie, if you don't know, uh, but my full name is James Thomas Nunley. And so when, when my mom was trying to get my attention, she'd be like, hey, Jamie, you know, come over here. Hey, Jamie, come over here. James Thomas Nunley, come over here now, all right? And so that's, you know, Mama's serious when she's like, Mom, that's my full name. Why are you going to say my full name around my friends? Like, I didn't, I didn't really want that to come out, you know, but... <laughs> So yeah, so today is a middle name sermon. It's one of those times where God, just like a good mother, through the writings of Scripture, through the New Testament authors, is saying, hey, look, you need to pay attention. This is a big one. This, is, this one really matters. This one's going to affect your life. So let's pay close attention. Attention. Now, red flags are warnings. They are cautions. They make us pay close attention to possible danger. Um, red flags warm swimmers. Have you ever seen a red flag at the beach? Yeah. They, they warm swi- uh, swimmers of serious hazards in the water. You can still swim if there's a red flag, but you need to be super, super careful. This past weekend for my wife's Mother's Day present, she said, I want to, she's a, she's a triathlete, so she does the running, biking, and swimming. And uh, she want, there's an Ironman, which is a brand of races, uh, uh, which just means it costs more. Um, and they, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, they're actually, they really know what they're doing, it's nice. Um, and they had one close by in Panama City, so that's where we were. We drove back, Ethan and I drove back last night, and the kids and Tiff are on their way to second service right now. Um, driving back from from uh, from the condo there, and so uh, it, it was cool. That was her Mother's Day gift. Is she wanted us to accompany her because the kids can't always go to her races because sometimes they're far away. Sometimes we have to leave, and they're still in school. But but they got to come on this one, and uh, this one was a little bit different because this was an ocean swim. So you in a, in a half Ironman, you swim one point one miles. Now, some of y'all can't even walk 1.1 miles, unless it's to get fried chicken, then you'll do it. There was no fried chicken in the ocean, though. Uh, she was swimming 1.1 miles uh, in, in, in the ocean, and she actually tried it the day before, just a test run, and it was a yellow flag when she did it. And she said, Jamie, the, the, the waves were literally crashing over my head. It was hard to get a breath, and she almost, she almost panicked. And then she got out, she started praying, (laughs) and she did it again, and then she did much, much better. The morning of the race, she got up, she walked out to the beach, and there was a red flag. And she thought, (laughs) ruh-roh, 
This is not good. I mean, swimming in the ocean is weird enough. Like, there's sharks and things like that. You know, there are animals in there. Um, But swimming in the ocean is weird enough. But when you have a red flag, it just means that there are these currents and stuff. And the race actually ended up, thankfully, canceling the swim portion. Um, and so, so she started out on the bike, and I was a little relieved, if I'm being honest, and she ran. She, she biked for 56 miles, and then she ran a half marathon, thir- over 13 miles, back-to-back, uh, pretty crazy. So, but it was, it was a good weekend for us. Um, we're going to talk about a red flag this morning um, about Bad Company. You know, there's a band called Bad Company. We're not talking about the band uh, we're talking about this verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. It says, do not be deceived. Now, that's been kind of our phrase that's our red flag warning. Okay, we've been, we've been looking, we're, and through the rest of this month, we're going to be looking at scriptures that start out with the phrase, do not be deceived, or do not be misled, or do not be led astray. Okay, so that's what's triggering us here. That's what's giving us that red flag. It says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. How many of you heard that one before? Yeah, this, this is what I heard from my mama a lot growing up. Hey, 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 son. Bad company corrupts good morals. Bad company corrupts good morals. Let me just share a couple things. First of all, it's important to know the context. The Apostle Paul's writing this to the church in a city called Corinth, okay? That's why it's called Corinthians. And, and he's actually talking about uh, the bad company he's talking about uh, is people that are denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what the whole chapter is about. And he begins to kind of cap off this whole idea of like the resurrection of Jesus is super important. That's not something we mess with. Okay? And he's saying, look, bad company corrupts the good morals. In other words, who you hang around and who you allow to speak into your life theologically and spiritually is going to affect you negatively. Don't be a part of this crew that's messing with the resurrection of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Now, this is interesting, and I didn't know this until this week. This is actually a quote. The Apostle Paul is not, did not generate that sentence by himself. He is quoting an ancient uh, Greek dramatist, someone who wrote plays called Menander that, that was around 350 years before the time of Paul. Now, this is a secular playwright. This is a secular person that in one of their pieces of art said, bad company corrupts good morals. And Paul is quoting him and saying, hey, look, this guy got it right. It'd be like us quoting Shakespeare today, right? Y'all quote Shakespeare a lot? Me neither. Um, it'd be like there's a British poet called John Donne who said, no man is an island. You've heard that phrase before, no man is an island. That guy was 300, 400 years before us, and we're still using a phrase that he wrote to to declare truth. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting that that we don't see Paul say, well, that's that's not holy. That's not the ancient scriptures. No, he's using a culturally relevant phrase to, 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 uh, to kind of show us the truth of God. So bad company corrupts good morals was not a new idea. It was actually a quote. Now the Amplified Version of the Bible says that bad company corrupts good manners, morals, and character. Manners, morals, and character. Another version says habits. But really the best translation here would, would be to say it affects your outlook on life. It affects everything about your life, your mentality, which leads to your actions, which leads to your habits, which leads to your eventual journey and destiny. 
Okay, so bad company. We'll talk about what it means in just a second. Uh, what bad company is, but I, I'd like to. So sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you're like, "What does this mean?" So I like to kind of paraphrase, make my own paraphrase. Sometimes I sometimes we'll call it the not King Jamie version. And so here's my version of this. It says, "Allowing ungodly companions to influence you will negatively affect the way you live your life." Allowing ungodly companions to influence you will negatively affect the way that you live your life. See, here's the thing. The company that you keep matters. It it really matters. Now, now you're going to have a tendency to think that it doesn't. You're going to have a tendency to think that you're the exception. You're going to have a tendency to think that, well, I can handle this relationship. I know it's not what it needs to be, but I can handle it. All the other people in the exact same relationship, when it didn't go well for them, I'm different from them. And we want to make ourselves an exception, but you are not an exception. The company you keep matters. Back to Tiffany's swim this weekend. When they announced that the swim portion of her race was canceled, there was a big group of people who were not really happy about that. They had traveled a long... I mean, people travel like from overseas to come to these races. 1,500 plus people. And they found out that, the, that the, the ocean race was canceled, and they were, oh, and some of them were like, well, I could have done it. I don't know why they're canceling this. I could have handled the 10-foot waves crashing all over my head while I'm trying to breathe. Oh, man, I don't know why they got to do this. You know, it was, so you won't die, bro. Okay, that's why. That's why. Because you're not as good as you think you are, and you're not the exception to riptides. You're not the exception to currents that will literally drag you out into the ocean. And you'll just be a buoy in the Gulf of Mexico. Hey, what's up? And so it was so funny to her. She was telling me how different people, she was relieved. But other people were like, well, I just, look, look, we're not the exception to this. Look, where you swim matters. And the company you keep matters. So I, I just really quickly, I'm going to explain what and who is bad company in just a second. It may not be who you think. But before I do, I just, I just really got to show you how important this is. You have an enemy. It matters, it, it matters because you have an enemy. Don't give him ammunition. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 9 says, stay alert. Watch out. Right, so maybe you might want to pay attention. For your great enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, verse 9. But stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. Look, I hate to tell you this. I know it's Mother's Day and flowers and pastels and, hey, Mom, love you. Let's go eat. But look, the reality is you got an enemy. There is a literal spiritual being that exists and other spiritual beings that are a part of, of, his, of what he does. And they aren't a fan of you. They don't like you. They've got bad plans for you. You have an enemy. Why would you, through an, an ungodly relationship, 
Why would you want to give him ammunition? Satan is looking to derail your walk with God and will use anything possible, including other people. Look, at least, at least make him work for it. Don't help him out. Don't help him out by the company that you keep. Here's another issue why your company matters is that different desires distract. Different desires distract. What do I mean? 2 Timothy 2, 4 says something really interesting. It says, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. Now, if you've been to the military, you know, especially when you're like at boot camp or something, like you're doing what the drill sergeant says, right? You know, it's not like you get up and and, and you look at the obstacle course you're going to go on today, and you're like, hey, drill sergeant, you know, I just noticed that this one and this one, if you just move this one, no, no, you're going to get yelled at a bunch, okay? They are in charge, right? And so you've got to keep your focus on the task at hand, right? Well, God is not a drill sergeant. God is a loving father. However, if you want to be successful at what he's called you to, you can't be distracted by different desires than what he has for your life. And so people, if they aren't willing to yield to what God is telling you to do in your life, they can become a distraction. They can have a different vision, division, two visions, division. If the company you keep distracts you from your mission, that means there's one less person available for God to use now. Don't be that person. Don't be that person. Don't let other people get you off task. Now, this doesn't mean that we can't receive correction and admonition and encouragement and support from other people. But I'm saying if someone does not have your God-ordained mission in mind with dealing with you, then it's, it becomes bad company. Because different desires distract Here's a third reason why the company you keep matters is that your heart health determines your quality of life. Your heart health determines your quality of life. Now, obviously, this works for your physical heart, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your spiritual heart. The heart is the essence of who you are. It's the seat of your emotions, the seat of your thoughts. It's, it's the catalyst from which your actions spring forth. It's the reservoir that you pull from in your life is your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Keep your heart with all diligence. Now, keep your heart sounds like you got to do something to me. Doesn't it sound like that to you? Keep your heart with all diligence. Not some diligence, all diligence. Diligence. What does that mean? It means you really, really work at it. You really, really work at it. You really make sure that you're doing a good job. You ask yourself, hey, am I doing a good job? Uh, no, yes, right? You keep your heart. Look, look at what the New Living Translation says. It says, guard your heart above all else. That means first. For it determines the course of your life. 
Whoa. That means that what you put in your heart, and here's what you need to understand about your heart. Your heart is like a sponge that soaks up outside information coming towards you through the different gates, your eye gate, your ear gate, all these things you let into you, and then your brain processes it into your own thoughts and actions. You cannot say that you remain unaffected by outside influence. That is not true. I'm sorry. I, I, I know for some of us, it's like, well, that doesn't affect me. Yes, it does. Don't be deceived. Red flag, remember? This is a huge warning. You are affected by who you hang around and what you allow yourself to come in contact with. Don't think for a second that you're the exception. People who have derailed their lives who've gotten off course, if you go back and talk, maybe that's you. And now you're back and, and, and you're, you're, you're you know, developing a relationship with Jesus. But I've talked with a lot of people that have gotten derailed in their life. And, and here's what they say, all of them. They all say, you know, I, I thought I could do it. I thought I was the exception. I thought I could, you know, take a drink. I thought I could, you know, smoke that. I thought I could hang out with that person. I knew they weren't saved. I thought I could do this and it wouldn't get away from me. And I found out that I'm not the exception after all. Look, your heart health determines the quality of life. Guard your heart. And that includes bad company. So let me, let me ask the question here. So who is bad company? When we say bad company corrupts good morals, who exactly, what type of people or, 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 or whatever are we talking about? And here's the definition. Bad company is any relationship with a person, place, or thing. It's not just people. That doesn't support, encourage, or grow your relationship with God. Bad company when we talk about bad company, it's any relationship with a person, place, or thing that doesn't support, encourage, or grow your relationship with God. Amen. It's now bad company, and it will corrupt good morals. Scripture's true. Amen. And none of us are the exception. I'm not the exception to this. Okay? So let's, let's talk about, really quickly, for the remainder of time we have here, Three types of bad company that the scripture specifically tells us about. And it might not be who you think, because most of you are going to, well, it's sinners, right? Isn't that what we're supposed to say in church? Just stay away from those nasty sinners. They'll get you every time. You know what? Sinners sin. Big deal. Go be different. Actually, the, the, one of the, most, the biggest groups that we're warned against in the, in the Bible is this group. Rebellious Christians. Rebellious Christians. 1 Corinthians 5, if you'll turn there with me, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, but this is good in any translation. This might change a few of your perspectives here. So hold on. 1 Corinthians 5, 9. The Apostle Paul is writing again to Corinth. We're, we're in Corinth a lot in this um, during this message this morning. And he had been doing letters back and forth. He founded the church and then he would leave, set over, you know, pastors and leaders over the area. 
And then he would write them letters, encouraging them, answering their questions, correcting them. So they would write him, and then he would write back. They would write him, and he would write back. Well, what we know is 1 Corinthians is the first of his letters that we have record of, but it wasn't the first time he wrote them. Okay? And so we actually see this, verse 9, when I wrote to you before, right? So there's a previous letter we don't have. When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sin. Verse 10, but I wasn't talking about unbelievers who indulge in sexual sin or are greedy or cheat people or worship idols. You would have to leave this world to avoid people like that. Now, see, this, see the church needs to read this because in, in an effort to be holy, and some of you are really uncomfortable right now. Don't worry. We're going to balance this out. But this is the truth, and you need to embrace it. In an effort to be holy, the church has retreated into our own subculture behind closed doors where we do Jesus stuff. And the world has paid the price. Because we haven't loved Jesus in public, we've loved him in private because we've tried to keep ourselves separate from God in some sort of pseudo-holiness. So we have our own singers, we have our own artists, we have our own buildings, we have our own stuff. We even have our own health care. Christians need to be visible. How else are they going to see Christ? So, he said, I didn't didn't mean that you'd have to leave planet Earth to not ever be around someone who sins, right? Verse 12, but it isn't my responsibility to judge outsiders, but it certainly is your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. Whoa! Now, have you heard the verse that says, judge not lest you be judged? That, I've heard so many people. Facebook needs a judge not button. Just so judge not. That's everyone's response. You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. You don't want that. Like, how is that like a thing? Like, only God can judge me and you're all cocky. Like, you don't want God to, like, he's God. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> That's, you, know, you don't want God to judge me, judge you, believe, believe me. You can't judge me. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. We as Christians, now this is really important, you need to pay attention. We as Christians do not judge people. We do, what does that mean? That means we do not make final decisions and renderings on people's lives. That guy is gone. He's going to hell. That girl is this. She'll never get out of it. We don't do that. Why? Because we know a God whose grace is a deep, deep well and never runs out. Okay? So that's why we don't judge people. We'll see if you clap to this one. But we do judge actions. It is perfectly okay for us to say, sister, when you did this, that was wrong. It's always wrong. It's wrong when you did it. It's wrong if I do it. It will always be wrong. That is not judging someone. I'm not judging you. I'm judging your behavior, and your behavior is wrong. Do you see the difference? Don't buy that, well, judge not, brother. No, 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 no. That's stupid. That's not biblical because we are just, it is certainly, I'm reading from the Bible, it is certainly your responsibility to judge those inside the church who are sinning. You see the difference? That's biblical judgment. Then he says this, verse 13, God will judge 
those on the outside, those who are not believers, those who are non-Christians. But as the scriptures say, you must remove the evil person from among you. What's happening? This whole verse, this is like something off Jerry Springer, okay? Like seriously, what I'm about to tell you, and you can go read about it on your own. This whole chapter in Corinth, there was some crazy sexual sin where a guy was actually hooking up with his stepmom. This is where you go, ugh, right? I told you it was Jerry Springer stuff, okay? Uh, or Mari Povich, who's the daddy, you know? And the results are in. <laughs> yeah, that stuff went on back then. We, we're not our own crazy brand of, of sinner. They, you know, it was all going on back then too. And so he's saying, look, he's saying, look, I know you love this guy. And we're a church, and we believe that everyone belongs, and we accept, okay? But this guy is intentionally and willfully, knowingly breaking the command of God, and you can't put up with that. You don't celebrate someone's sin in order to make them belong. That's not what we're instructed to do. This is a rebellious Christian, and they need to get out. He says, don't even eat with such a person. That's what it says, uh, verse 11. It says, I meant that you who are, you are not to associate with anyone who claims to be a believer, yet indulges in sexual sin, is greedy, worships idols, abusive, drunkard, or cheats people. Don't even eat with such a person. That seems kind of harsh. Like, hey, man, you want to go get, to, get some lunch? No. <laughs> it's like, I may not eat with you. Why, why would he say that? You know, I cannot stuff food into my mouth while you do it at the same time. Can't do it. What is that about? All right. So eating together, there wasn't an eating out culture back then like there is today. Okay. And so when you ate with someone, you usually did it in your home. In other words, what he's, and eating together was, an, was like an intimate act. It was saying, I'm allowing you to come in and influence my children. I'm allowing you to influence me and my spouse and my family. We are, we are bringing you in to intimate fellowship here. That's what eating together was. And so they're saying, it's not like you can't be seen with someone. But it's saying, look, do not, they are a bad company. Do not let them influence you. Do not let them have a say in your walk with God. Okay? Um, for the sake of time, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, it, just, it's, it talks about there's a list of people who are still walking in purposeful sin, yet claiming to know Christ. And it talks about those people denying God's power. Now, that's not necessarily talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. It could. But what it's talking about is God's power to change people. It's talking about greasy grace. You know what greasy grace is? Is when you get saved and you live your life however you want to. Like, yeah, whatever. I can do whatever I want to because God's grace covers me. And that's not grace. Grace is the power to change. Grace is God's ability to work in your life so that you don't go down that nasty, dirty road you were going down. There is change in the life of the believer. And that's what 2 Corinthians 3, 1 through 5 was talking about. I need to get to my next group, though. Here's the next group. And this is where you probably thought I was going to go. This is unequally yoked non-Christians. Now, notice this is not non-Christians. This is unequally yoked non-Christians, okay? I'll explain what that means in a second, but let's look at this passage. It's 2 Corinthians. Man, Paul just really 
tore into the Corinthians about all this, didn't he? It was where they were struggling. You should read the Corinthians verse in 2 Corinthians. It's like he's writing to America. <laughs> it really is. So this is 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to start at verse 14 in the New King James. It says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Baal? Baal was a false god, a demonic entity. What part has believer with unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. He later on, he goes and he says a, a phrase that you may have heard if you grew up in church, come out from among them and be a separate people. Okay, so what does it mean unequally yoked? Okay, so here's, here's, hey, Hayes, can I have you help me? Will you come up here and help me real quick? Chris, I'm going to ask you in a second. So being yoked together, just come up here with me, buddy. Being yoked together, uh, it was was a term, it was an agricultural term that had to do with oxen. So they'd have oxes like pull like a plow behind, right? And one ox could get the job done, but two oxes, you're an ox this morning, okay? Two oxes could really get the job done, okay? So what they would do, they would put this wooden yoke around the necks of the two oxen, okay? And so one would go over one neck, one would go over the other neck. So here, just to symbolize, put your hand over my shoulder, Okay, all right, is this, is this awkward? No, really, it is for me. Okay. <laughs> and so then we would begin to move, right? And then we'd go in different directions. Okay, here's a problem. Right now, my buddy here and me, we're unequally yoked. Why? Because I'm a lot stronger. Sorry, buddy. You're strong for your age, I'm sure. But I'm a lot stronger. And so try to go over that direction, Hayes. Try, yeah, oh, no, you're not doing that. See, I can control him because we're unequally yoked, okay? So he may want to go in a certain direction, but because he's linked up with me, he can't go in that direction. Try again, just in case you somehow, no, you still can't. All right, thank you, buddy. I'll give Hayes a hand. Chris, come here. No, we're not going to do a tug of war up here because I'm pretty sure we'd break something. But Chris and I are about the same size. We're about the same build. About, sorry about that. About the same height. And it is what it is, isn't it? It's just, this is our lot in life. We can't do nothing about it, can we? No, there's nothing we could do. And so we start walking. We start walking. Now, it's pretty, now, Chris and I are equally yoked, aren't we? And so it's going to be a lot harder for him to go a direction I don't want to go. We're going to end up going in the right direction. Why? Because we're equally yoked. Does that make sense? Okay, thanks, Chris. Hayes did much better, but thank you. So do you understand what equally yoked is? Okay, so what are some relationships where you could be unequally yoked? Well, one's a romantic relationship, right? A romantic relationship, you're unequally yoked. Why? Because you want to please your partner and you're willing to go where they want to go. That's why we always tell people, you know, if someone says, oh, I've got a new, like a new boyfriend, new girlfriend, like that's, that's awesome. I don't ask what they look like. I don't ask what job they have. I ask, are they a believer? You know, and, and there are so many people, some of you right now, you're like, well, I'm the exception. Okay. Red flag warning. I'm just trying to help you out. It won't hurt me if you go and destroy your life. It will hurt me because I love you, but it won't affect me personally. But, I, but you should listen. 
Because the scripture says, hey, red flag warning, right? Look, it, it, it says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Romantic relationships can be unequally yoked if you're, if you're in one with an unbeliever. Business partnerships is another one. When, when, when you're, you're, you are unequally yoked, when you allow someone else to have authority and control over your own life. I'll tell my kids, you know, if, if, you, uh, if you go meet a friend at the movies, equally yoked. I don't, they don't even necessarily have to be an unbeliever. I have to be a believer for you to go meet them at the movies as long as the movie is something that we are, are okay with. But if you get in their car, unequally yoked. Why? Because they have the authority now. See the difference? That's the difference between being equally yoked and unequally yoked. Look, it's not that believers are bad people. It's not that shun the unbeliever, shun. It's not, that's, not, that's not what we're going for here. The problem is they just have an opposite worldview. They don't have the same worldview that you have. They haven't made Jesus Lord of their life. And so it's going to cause problems when you try to link up with them. You're going to be going in different directions. It's going to hurt. And so God's not like, you know, these people are bad. He's not saying that. But he's saying, look, this just doesn't make sense to link up with someone that's going to pollute the goals for your life that God has. Amen? Amen. Last one. Last bad company is any relationship, virtual or real in your life. Oh, I'm going there. I'm going there. That compa- I told you this was the middle name sermon, okay? Any relationship that competes with God, it can be a thing, it can be a place you keep going back to, you get in trouble every time you go to that place. Well, I'm just going to... You're going to have the same results you'll always have if you keep going there. You're going to have the same issues if you keep hanging out with those people. If you keep dealing with that virtual thing. Any relationship, things are virtual. We call these things idols. These are things that compete with God. An idol is anything that competes with God. I'm talking checkbooks. I'm talking children. I'm talking cheese. It can be anything. Anything. Anything that competes for God's real estate in your heart. It's bad company. 1 Corinthians 10 warns us about idols. Are these Corinthians, man? I'm telling you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This whole, this whole section is about idols, and it's talking about um, the, the children of Israel in the Old Testament and about how they had idolatry in their heart, and it messed them up. I'll let you read about how. But verse 11 says, now all these things happened. What? The, the Israelites in, in the wilderness, all this. It happened as, as examples to us. They were written for our admonition Upon whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let he who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Ooh, you think you're doing good? Be careful. Probably comes before fall. No temptations overtaken you except as is common to man. In other words, you're not like some special case that's dealing with something that no one else has ever dealt with. It doesn't mean that you don't feel real pain. It doesn't mean you don't feel real temptation. It just means you're not alone. Okay? And God has a way out. It says, it says, God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Flee. What does the word flee mean? It means to run in stark terror. If you turn the corner, you're in the woods, 
You see a bear, you need to flee. Right? It's not like, huh, a bear. I'm going to start making my way over here. What's up, bear? That's not, that's not flee. Flee's like, ah, a bear! And you take off running, jiggling you're running so fast. That's what it means to flee. And that's what we have to do with idolatry. Look, our TV, don't think that what you watch doesn't affect you. Don't kid yourself. Don't be deceived. Don't think that where you go, who you hang, don't think all these things can become bad company when they don't line up with God's purposes for your life. 1 John 5, 21 says, little children, keep yourself from idols. I love that. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Look, look, please, please, please be aware Always be in a state of asking the Holy Spirit, is this becoming an idol? See, good things can become idols. As a matter of fact, they make the best idols. Because, they're, because it's not bad. No one else is telling you, you really need to not love your kids so much. No one would ever say that. But a child, your own child, can become an idol when, when, when you begin to make, make different plans because of your child based on what God told you to do. You see what I'm saying? Anything can become an idol, and good things make the toughest idols to get out. You can have a wonderful marriage. That's awesome. God wants you to have one, but it can be an idol. And so we need to eradicate the bad company that's in our lives, that's any relationship, person, place, or thing that competes with God. So my final question to you is this. You made it. You made it. Okay, good. Do you see the red flag warning about bad company? You see it? It's big, flapping in the wind, saying, hey, you're not the exception. There are undercurrents. There are tides that you may not even recognize from the distance of where you are. But believe me, they will grab you just as quick as they'll grab someone else. We've got to heed the red flag. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer.